Hey, welcome to the Hell Has an Exit podcast. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 833-999-1877 to speak to a specialist. The show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com. Hey guys, welcome to Hell Has an Exit. This is episode seven of the speaker tape series. Uh, We're doing eight speaker tapes for eight weeks. Today is Jimmy T. Jimmy T is uh, somebody who changed my whole recovery. Uh, When I heard this guy speak, I had never heard him up until I heard him in person. And very well-known speaker from New Jersey. I had a year clean. He was speaking at the spiritual retreat in 2008. Um, I had just got a year clean, 17 or 18 years old at the time, and I knew I wanted to be in recovery. I knew I wanted to stay clean. Um, I wasn't sure if I was going to stay clean forever, but it was just where I needed to be at the time. Um, I was living in the Just for Today, and I was at the spiritual retreat in uh, the Keys of Florida. And uh, the spiritual retreat doesn't go on anymore, but it did go on for, I think, like my first 10 years of recovery. I never missed it. One of the coolest conventions, get-togethers in recovery I've ever done. Best retreat. And uh, Saturday night, they have a main speaker. And I hear this guy, Jimmy T, speak. And um, blew me away. Changed my life forever. Everyone was jumping and cheering and hugging at the end of the meeting. And one thing he said at the end of his speech was, uh, you know, it's not about you. You know, stop thinking it's about you. And um, up until that point, you know, my whole recovery was like getting my life better, helping my family, seeing what I could change, what I can acquire. You know, everything was about me. I haven't even thought up until that point of how getting clean can affect other people and how, you know, my message or my story could influence someone else to get clean. And that's when I started to realize that, you know, there is a higher power out there and that everything I'm doing yeah, it's great if it helps me, but the real purpose is, you know, to be able to help other people. And um, years later, this guy is still an incredible speaker. I see him every once in a while at conventions. And yeah, man, I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, This is Jimmy T. Listen, I'm Jimmy. I'm a recovering addict. I want to thank God for everything. And when I say I want to thank God for everything, I want to thank God for everything from the day he saw fit for my mom to become pregnant with me, all of the stuff that I've experienced by choice and by dilemma and by situations and by choices made by me, by others, for me, by others, I want to thank God for everything that's happened up until this day. And this might be the first time ever I'm actually going to need the microphone. But before we get started, I'd like to uh, take a moment, just a moment, right? And I want you to invite your God, your higher power, the spirit, the force, 
whatever it is that helps you to stay clean on a daily basis, I would like to ask you to invite that God in, and I'll invite my God in, and then when it's all said and done, if you make a decision to applaud, that the applause will be for God's grace and not my message. So if we could do that, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. And I would like for, for everybody that's been involved in this convention since the day it was voted on to stand up so that you can get a round of applause for the, such the hard and wonderful work that you've done since God created the convention. Could, we, could you guys stand up, please? I've been the programming chair. I'm the programming chair for the second time in my home area. I've been the BOT secretary, BOT vice chair, BOT chair. I've held every position at the area level. So I know what it's like to have servitude to Narcotics Anonymous. And the more you do, the more people want to critique what you do. They don't want to help you do what you do. They just want to talk bad about how you're doing what you do. So I respect and applaud your commitment to the Southeast area. I want to thank the Southeast area, right, for, for not taking a risk because I believe my recovery is kitchen tested. But I want to thank them for honoring me, right, for honoring me with the opportunity to be the very first ever Saturday night speaker. Do you know what kind of pressure? I want you to hear me now. Do you understand the pressure, the potential pressure that I could be under had I not been safely embreasted in the armor of God that I have in my life? Do you understand how powerful and how strong it could be if I didn't understand that if I didn't show up that just an efficient message would be carried that I understand clearly that I am not a messenger I am just a vehicle that God saw fit to use do you understand that I know clearly that even if I fall on my face this convention will prosper see Listen, I got a Narcotics Anonymous sponsor who got a Narcotics Anonymous sponsor who got a Narcotics Anonymous sponsor who got a Narcotics Anonymous sponsor. And you know what that means? That I got a Narcotics Anonymous sponsor. It doesn't make me better than someone who doesn't. What it does is it lets you know from the door that what I'm about to share is Narcotics Anonymous bread and born. 
I, listen, I'm going to talk about me now. Our literature in the sixth tradition says that anytime we use literature or readings from outside the fellowship of Narcotics Anonymous, we're violating the very principle of Narcotics Anonymous. Anytime we use speakers from outside of Narcotics Anonymous, we're diluting the life-saving message. Our readings, our readings tell us that we are grateful to Alcoholics Anonymous, that we are grateful. But I want you to ask yourself a question. Do you understand that in 1935, God knew that alcoholism was killing people? But in 1953, he realized through his infinite wisdom that the addict, the one that shot dope and took pills, couldn't identify with the alcoholic who drank. So what God did, what God did, what God did, as our second tradition says, he created Narcotics Anonymous. So, so I'm crystal clear on, on, on where I need to get my help from. Crystal clear. My clean date is May 1st, 1992. I just celebrated 15 years clean. And I've seen a lot of clean time in the room, and I'm impressed. But not as impressed as I am by me having 15 years. Because don't none of y'all sleep with me. Check this out. I'm not as impressed as my wife is. Because <laughs> she does got to sleep with me on most nights. But I have, uh, I have a home group. It's the Read and Recover group. We meet on uh, 4th and Walnut, Tuesday nights, Roselle, New Jersey. It's a basic text meeting. We also have a beginner's meeting in the back because we understand in the spirit of unity, we're celebrating unity this weekend. In the spirit of unity, that not everybody's open to the literature. So we have a meeting that they can go to until, they, until the fog starts to clear, and they can come out into the front meeting and get with book one in the basic text. See, because it's not about those of us who've gotten clean, that are going to stay clean, that want to work steps. It's about the addict that comes through the door behind us. Right, it's about that addict, the one that can't read and can't talk and smells funky. You know, the same one that you turn your back on now that you've been clean for 60 days now. You know, that grimy, funky, skunky addict that walks through the door. Or, or, or how about this addict? How about the addict that comes through the door that couldn't stay clean? How about, how about the addict that comes to N.A. and uses? And you forgot that you used to not come to N.A. and use. The book says they show a courage, not their own. So, so, like, you know that addict, that addict that comes here for like seven or eight or ten years, and they can't stop using, and they got more white key tags than area? You know that addict? Do you know that addict that you, that you say every time you see them walk through the door, they'll never get clean? Do you know the addict that I'm talking about? Do you have one that comes to your home group? Well, that was me. 
I came to Narcotics Anonymous in 1986. My clean date is 1992. For years, I came to meetings and used. I used and came to meetings. I came to meetings and used. I used and came to meetings. And people would make comments like, are you ready yet? I was ready seven years ago. What are you gonna do differently? If I knew what I did wrong, I wouldn't have done it. Come on now. The most powerful principle that we have in Narcotics Anonymous is love. 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 A simple loving hug can make all the difference to a confused and scared addict. I don't need to open the book to quote the book. I know the book. I bring the book, you know why? Because it's been habitual for me. I was taught early on to bring the book. I used to open the book and read the book and tell you about the book and share about the book and bring it into my life. Now I just bring the book because I like to bring the book because it's a comfort zone. I don't apologize for bringing the book because if you got an issue with people that read the literature and bring the literature to the podium, I want you to ask yourself a question. I want you to ask yourself if you went to the crack house without the pusher, the lighter, or the stem. Go to the shooting gallery without the spoon and the works? Did you go to the crack spot without money or something to give to the crack dealer? So why do you want to talk about the addict that gets in the books and reads the books? People that quote the books, you can't say that they're not reading it. They didn't just look at it one day with the cover closed and be able to come to meetings and share about what's in the book. They had to read it. Why don't we applaud heartily about the reading of the book? So, I, I, listen, I got clean, man, and, and, and I had been around for years, so I, I knew the suggested readings. I, I knew what to say in meetings to get you to leave me alone. I knew to tell you I was all right. I knew to dress up the outside. And I remember that I, I, I got clean, man, and I, and I got this sponsor, man. And, and this sponsor, like a, a lot of y'all know my story. I'm just going to like give you a quick synopsis of what happened when I first got here, and then I'm going to tell you where I'm at in my current phase of recovery, right? And listen, I, I came to Narcotics Anonymous. I went to my first meeting in 86. I went to my first treatment center in 87. I was in the treatment center. In the treatment center, they had h and I. I was there on a, in, a, in a rehab on a Saturday night, and, and in came, into the room came, came this cat, right? He was dipping. He had a raccoon hat and a sheepskin coat. He was cool like that. He had sewn in seams in the jeans. He had shell top Adidas. I wasn't sure if he was Run or D from Run DMC. I'm going to tell you what I heard for four Saturdays in a row from this brother. If you want what we got, do what we do. He had the baddest. She was by far the baddest woman I had ever seen in my life. She was all that plus tax. And all I heard this brother say was, if you want what we got, do what we do. 
Meanwhile, back at the ranch, I'm engaged. But I'm not really liking her, cause you know, she made me go to rehab anyway. <laughs> she said, me or drugs? I guess I'll get help. I don't want to be alone. Anything for you, hon. And I, and I got out of treatment and I used. I never relapsed because I never had any recovery. You can't recover, you can't relapse unless you have recovery. Clean time does not equal recovery. It equals a separation from you and the substance. The only, only the substance that can separate you from clean time. Because thank God we don't celebrate separation from stuff to change you spiritually. Because I don't know if anybody in here would have 24 hours or less. I'll take a risk on that one. I'm quite sure everybody did, thought, or felt a way that was unspiritual today. Okay? So thank God we do abstinence from narcotics and any kind of substances. Thank you, brother. Is it showing that much? I guess that's what happens when you're bald, huh? If I'm blinding anybody in the back, my bad. So it was about six years later, and, and, I, and I went on a run in, in the end of March to beginning of April, and I had been clean for about seven or eight months. No sponsor, no step work, no commitments. I was just going to meetings, and I wasn't using, and I got the great idea that I could use one day. And the unemployment check came. I cashed it. I hid all the money in my left pocket from me in my right pocket because I was only going to get five dimes. That's all I was going to get. I was going to smoke me up five dimes, and I was going to give the rest of the money to my wife so that she could pay the bills. Because, you know, I had nine months now, so I knew how to do this. And like 36 days later, after I had an everything-must-go sale in my house, I stole my own truck. I sold all my wife's jewelry, I sold all her porcelain dolls, I sold VCRs, TVs, and furniture. And for the first time in my life, I used every day for 30-something days. That was not my story prior to that time. Prior to that, my story was, I would use for a couple weeks, I would sleep on the couch for a couple days, she'd let me back in the bed, I would stay clean for a couple weeks, I would use for a couple weeks, I would sleep on the couch for a couple days, she would let me back in the bed. Well, this time I used for 30 some odd days. The last day that I used on April 30th, 1992, I was in, in Weequay Towers in Newark, New Jersey. It was April 30th, flashback to 1992. Tell me if you can remember what was going on on April 30th, 1992. It was the Rodney King riots. Here I am, white as snow, weighing 108 pounds, cracked out of my mind. I do a hit. I run in the bathroom. I want the newcomer, right? I've seen a lot of newcomers in here tonight. I want the newcomer to understand that I didn't just get where I'm at. I did a hit, I ran in the bathroom, I counted, I had my fanny pack on, I counted what was in there, I counted my loot. I ran out of the bathroom, we were on the seventh floor in the projects, I looked out the window, I went, They're coming up the building. The girl running the spot said, sit down. 
I said, oh, right, right. <laughs> I sat down, I looked at the door, and I went, shh, they're opening the door. She said, you got to go. Now I could talk. <laughs> what you mean I got to go? I got a clip and 300. She said, that's a tired old story. Tell your story walking. You're getting high. You're tweaking behind is messing up our get high. You got to go. When you get thrown out of the crack spot, <laughs> we're cracking money. It just might be time to address your using. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure, but there was a red light indicator going off in my head. Could it be the drugs? Could it be the drugs? Could it be the drugs? And I walked out the door on the seventh floor, and I remember going down the elevator, and I remember walking out into the middle of the riots in Newark, New Jersey. And even though I was in the middle of a horror at 108 pounds, crystal white, geeked out of my mind. Nobody looked at me. Nobody said a word to me because I had already surrendered that I was never going to use again. I was already in protective custody. God had already blessed me with the opportunity to get clean again. I know you might not believe that, even if you've been here a long time, but that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Now, I don't know what happened to the drugs and the money, but I remember getting into my house. And I haven't told this in a long time, but I want you to understand, newcomer, I want you to understand the power of the disease of addiction. I remember I got in the house and I, I had nothing on me, no money and no paraphernalia, and I went in my bedroom and I had stashed some money, or at least I think I did, I don't remember. But I think I stashed some money and I went in the room and when I opened the drawer, my wife said, what are you doing? What you mean, what am I doing? She said, what are you doing? I said, I'm getting my money. What do you think I'm doing? I was like 108 pounds. Eyes sunk in the back of the head. And my wife had told me before that I was a junkie and all of those things, but she always let me back in. And she jumped out of the bed and she cornered me and I said, I'm leaving. I said, where's my money? She said, Jeff got it. Now Jeff is 6'6", 300 pounds, black guy. It's four o'clock in the morning. I've been smoking crack for 35 days. She said, Jeff got your money. I'm going to Jeff's house. <laughs> she said, well, go ahead. <laughs> go see if Jeff gonna give you the money. She said, uh, Jeff ain't gonna give you the money. But as I went to go out the door, she, she cornered me and she looked in my face and she said, I hate you. You're a junkie. You'll never be anything more than a junkie. And I want you out of here. And I had been using for 30 something days and I felt it because it was a reality. It was the truth. And she was right. And she cornered me in the kitchen and there was a butcher knife on the counter. And the only thing that could go through my head was stab her, get the truck, take it to Paco because you got to get high. Paco been trying to buy that truck from you for five years now. You know you could get it. You know he'll give you enough money to get high for a long time. Go take it. Just do what you have to do. I don't know if your disease talked to you like that. That's how my disease talks to me. 
And I closed my eyes and I said the most profound prayer I could ever say. I said, oh, please, please, God, don't allow me to hurt her anymore. And she said to me, I have officially separated this house. And I get the inside and you get the outside. And I called my father and I said, do you believe she threw me out? He said, I wish you would have done it a while ago. I said, can I come there? He said, if you come, my father was a cop, never shot his gun in 30 years on the force. He said, if you come on my block, I will shoot you. I'm his oldest child. He didn't say, I'm gonna call the cops, I'm gonna pistol whip you. I will use my only bullet ever on you. Devastation of the disease of addiction. And I called my boy I was in treatment with back in 87. He said, I'm gonna send you here, I'm gonna send you there, I'm gonna send you here, I'm gonna send you there. And the next day I went for an interview. And I got into a, in a halfway house and I went down there and I did three months in a halfway house and at 37 days clean, I had a furlough. I was coming home, it was a Friday night. I went to the meeting that was to become my home group and I walked into the meeting and I wanted to use, and I had a reservation. I was already, I had it set up. I had already talked to my wife earlier that day. She was gonna come get me, and she was gonna bring me home. Babe, I'm gonna go to the afternoon meeting. I had been stacking loot for 37 days. I had a reservation I wanted to use, and I wanted to use so bad, and I was so ashamed to say I wanted to use, because you know, I had been clean now for 37 days, and I shouldn't wanna use, because you know, I've been clean now for 37 days. Who cares if I've been using for 18 years? I should not wanna use now. I got 37 days, and I'm in this treatment facility, and you know, I pray every morning, and we do all of this stuff in this facility and I shouldn't want to use and I walked into the meeting and in the middle of the meeting I sat in the back wall on denial aisle and, and in the middle of the meeting right I, 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 this brother raised his hand he said listen I'm, I'm, I'm in multiple relationships but I know through the six step sponsorship and God that I don't have to live like that anymore and I was like wow he's got six years clean listen to how honest he's being now I'm feeling worse about myself the meeting ends, we close in the serenity prayer. I walk up to the front of the room and the brother that shared that was the same brother with the raccoon hat, the sheepskin coat and the Lee jeans and he had seven years clean. But now he was wearing Lee jeans, dungarees, he was wearing Tim's and he was wearing a, 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 a jersey, a, a, a sweatshirt. And I looked at him and I said, hey, um, is there any way possible you maybe could like and he took his hand and he raised my chin up and he said, what is it, son? I said, is there any way that I think you could possibly maybe? <laughs> and he took his hand, he raised my chin up and he kept his hand under my chin. He said, what is it? I said, is there any way that possibly you think you could maybe have maybe have it? Did you do think, did you, could, I need a sponsor. <laughs> yeah. He said, he said, I would be honored to sponsor you. And I was like, oh. They had their little business meeting. They made me the coffee maker. They gave me the keys. I said, are you sure? <laughs> I, we went outside the facility. And I says to him, I got my basic text. We're going to read. I'm going to do who's an addict. And he, he told me we couldn't do who's an addict. And then we went through all the suggested readings. He said, no, Jimmy, you need to work the steps. He said, there's a couple facets in recovery. There's sicker, thicker, quicker, and then there's you. So now I'm resentful, he's my sponsor an hour, I'm mad at him already. 
He said, Jimmy, you, you got to work steps, Jimmy. You don't have the privilege that others do. You are way too sick to just stay clean. Matter of fact, your track record says you don't know how to stay clean. So we need to work and get to the exact nature of why it is you're using. We need to get to the core, to the root, Jimmy. Not the surface you use because you were the only white family in the projects and your father beat you when you were a kid and he broke your nose three times and knocked your front teeth out. Well, all right, Jimmy, that might have played a part, but there's an exact nature, a core. There's something deep down inside you, Jimmy. We need to tap into the violent, destructive power inside you. We need to find out why that violent, destructive power is more prevalent in your life than a relationship with God. We need to find out why you can't look anybody else in the eyes. We need to find out why it is that you can't stay clean even in an atmosphere of recovery we need to find out Jimmy what it is that's causing you to hate yourself on such a deep level not that you hate anybody else because I didn't hate other people I was afraid of other people but I hated myself so much that I didn't have the ability to look anybody else in the eye because I never felt worthy of looking you in the eye because I never felt like I measured up to be able to look you in the eye because no matter what I ever did in my life I always felt like I was less than you no matter whatever happened in my life I could never look up at anybody because I was always looking from a posture of complete unworthiness and humiliation he said Jimmy we need to go deep down inside we need to find out why at 27 years old your self-hatred is such on a deep level so so he said we're gonna work steps I said steps <laughs> steps okay let's talk about them he said, no, how about we write about him? And that man guided me for 10 and a half years clean, and, and he's a wonderful, wonderful man. He's a godly man who took, took nothing and made it into something. He's a wonderful man that worked me through the 12 steps three times. He sponsored me when I couldn't. He loved me when I couldn't like me. He cared for me when I couldn't care for myself. He held me when I couldn't hold myself. He supported me when I couldn't support myself. But at 10 and a half years clean, he made a conscious decision to leave Narcotics Anonymous. Now I'm in a quandary, what do I do? Rena and I were talking about this before. Here I am 10 and a half years clean, my sponsor leaves the fellowship, what do I do? Do you know who I am? You know, I'm speaking all over the country. Not any joke is gonna sponsor me. You got to know a little something about a little something. You're going to sponsor me. And I remember praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. And nobody was coming to, to my heart. Nobody was coming to my mind. I was in meetings and I was listening and I'm listening and I'm listening and I'm listening. And I'm, nobody's sharing about the things that I desire to have in my life. I had the house. I, I, I had the wife. I had the kids. I had the two SUVs. I lived in the suburbs. I had a job making $100,000 a year. I was speaking all over the place in Narcotics Anonymous. I was speaking sponsoring folks everywhere. I was traveling places to help people stay clean. I was doing all kinds of things in the community, but there was nobody talking about the things that I wasn't doing. I wasn't hearing nobody with clean time sharing about the things that I wasn't doing, like that I wasn't being a husband, like that I wasn't being a father, that I wasn't being responsible in my household, that speaking was more important than raising my kids. I didn't hear nobody talk about those things. All I heard was glorification about standing behind the microphone and what a good feeling I would get and how you would applaud me when I would come up here and share and how people would stand in line for an hour 
an hour after me running my mouth for an hour. You would stand in line for an hour to hug me, to tell me how much you love me. But when I did something at home, nobody was saying thank you. I'm talking about taking this and using this as a vehicle to escape reality. Living in a fantasy. That the only time I was content with self is behind the microphone. Because I still needed, deep down inside, I still needed to be told that I was needed. I still needed to be told that I was loved. I still needed people to validate me. I needed people to tell me how important I was. And the truth was that everything that I started doing at home, my wife had expected me to start doing years ago. So she wasn't gonna go, oh, good job, honey. Oh, you're so good. You cut the grass. She was like, you know, get your ball behind out there and cut the grass like every other man on the block. To me, to what do you mean you can't cut the grass because you're speaking in, in Southeastern Mass? I don't think so. Hey guys, want to talk to you about United Recovery Project. We're a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. We have three locations in Florida and three locations in California. Our facilities are state-of-the-art, luxury, and high-end. We do take most insurances. If you're struggling, I always tell people to go to a 12-step meeting but some of us need an extra head start to give us a fighting chance. For those of you that do need this head start, that are detoxing, that do think you need to speak to a professional, please call 833-999-1877. We are working with most insurances. Even if you can't get into our treatment center, we will point you in the right direction. Please give us a call today. Once again, that phone number is 833-999-1877. So I remember I went, and, and at this time, right? At this time, I was, I was thinking, I was thinking, hear me now, 12-step member, read the 10 steps, says we get the privilege to think. I was thinking that my wife was cheating on me, and I had all the evidence I needed. She checked her, I was checking her phone. She went out of the house three times without a wedding ring on. She got all dressed up twice, and I didn't know where she was going. She told me she was going here, and when I went there, she wasn't there, she was someplace else. And I remember I was in Suffolk. I was going to uh, share in Suffolk, Long Island. You know, because I was gonna deal with my insecurities through sharing. I was gonna help others get better and stay sick myself. The exact nature of the disease of addiction. Feed and feed and feed and starve yourself. And, uh, you know, funny thing happened. I walk into the convention and there's this Italian dude from Brooklyn. I've been knowing him for a couple years. I remember five years clean, he told my wife, man, he's gonna blow up, he's gonna share all over the country. My wife was like, whatever. And I walk in, here's this Italian dude, and you know, we've been friends, we've been rapping at each other, we never really talked on the phone, and I see him, I hug him, I go, he goes, how are you? I go, I'm good. He goes, you are such a liar. <laughs> Who are you to tell me I'm a liar? You don't know me. He said, what's the matter? And I went, 
I think my wife's cheating on me. I think she's doing this. I think she's doing And I puked all over him. He went. That's not your wife's character. But I don't tell me what her character is. I know what her character is. He says, you don't even know what yours is. Oh, Lord. You're like, yeah. Now I'm mad at him. Now help came. God sent help. I've been praying for help. God sent help, and I don't want the help to help me because I'm not hearing what I want to hear. I'm hearing, you know, let's do some investigation. You need a couple dollars for a private investigator. Did you follow her? He's not telling me this stuff. He's talking about principles. That's not your wife. You don't know my wife. I know your wife. You don't know my wife. And we started talking like every other day for a couple months. And I knew from the first moment that we talked that day that God had sent him to me for him to sponsor me. But I wasn't asking. I just use, I just call him. He can sponsor me, but I don't want him to know he's sponsoring me. Because, you know, we're starting to build a relationship here now, and he might change how he deals in our relationship if he's sponsoring me, so I don't want him to sponsor me. And what happened was, I went through about three and a half years of pure torture. I had asked him shortly after that to sponsor me, and really in name only. I mean, I would call him every so often. I, we, we, I wrote on the first step, it took a year to go over it. I would call him every, like, every other week, I would say to him, hey, hey, hey Rich, uh, um, um, can we, can we make, make a plan for Wednesday? Go over the step. Absolutely, Jimmy. Call me right before my home group. His home group's Tuesday, my home group. Call me before my home group. I never called him on Tuesday. I'd talk to him the next week. I'd be like, oh, I forgot. Hey, can we make it for this Wednesday? And then finally we went over the step. And then I wrote on the second step, and I sat on the second step for almost two and a half years. Matter of fact, I wrote two more second steps because the stuff I wrote in the first second step was no longer appropriate for where I was at. You know, in about, you know, I, I guess about seven, eight, ten months ago, my life took a transformation. Nothing happened. I just woke up one day and, like, decided I didn't want to live my life like I was living my life anymore. And I started calling him regularly, and I started talking to him, and I started making a commitment with him, and then we went, we went Finger Lakes, New York. And I remember I said to him on, on Friday, I was getting ready to get on the plane, I said, hey, hey, Rich, you're gonna be up there, right? He's like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll be up there Saturday afternoon, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, listen, can we do second step? Can we go over to say? He's like, yeah, all right, whatever, okay. <laughs> he just figured I was just running my gums. He, he was like, all right, whatever. So we get up there and, and, and we're fellowshipping a little bit, right? And, and all of a sudden it's like, I don't know, right after the banquet, and my first sponsor shares at the banquet, and I'm like, you know what, I need to build this relationship. So I go to him, I go, hey, Rich, can we do the step work? He goes, well, Alan's sleeping in the bed. I said, I don't care about Alan. He goes, for real? I said, yeah, he said, go get your step work. And I went and got my step work, and we went over the second step, and he asked me a question. He said, Jimmy, can I ask you a question? I, I said, yeah, go ahead. He said, do you feel like you don't have a good relationship with me? And I was like, absolutely, that's how I feel. He said, why is that? I said, I don't know, Rich, I just don't feel connected. He said, you don't believe I love you? I said, I believe you love me. 
and I love you and I want you in my life. And he said, well, then let's just do this. Let's put all of that stuff to side and do this. And let me tell you something. The last six months or eight months have been absolutely phenomenal. I called him yesterday. I told him I was going to call him on my way up. I called him yesterday morning. I left him a message. He called me. He left me a message. I had no signal coming up the mountains through Connecticut. And he left me a message. And I listened to the message. I get off the phone and my eyes were filled. And I had a big smile on my face. And my wife said, are you okay? I said, yeah, that was Richie. She goes, and? I go, you know what, babe? For the first time since I had three years clean, I feel like I'm being sponsored. I don't know if you understand what I'm talking about. Sponsorship for me is personal, very personal. I need to be, have complete confidence in the man sponsoring me in order to be able to trust him with the things that I don't trust me with. I said to her, babe, do you know how I used to be when I got off the phone with Dre? And she would say, yeah, you would be like on fire. I said, well, I'm on fire again. And when Richie got here this morning, I grabbed him and I pulled him to the side and I said, hey, Rich, I want you to know that it's on and popping now. It's time. We're going to do this. I want to get better. I want to recover from the disease of addiction. See, I used to think, man, that when you were invited to come do main meetings, that you were just supposed to come up here and just share the hope. But the newcomer needs to know, even with 15 years clean, I still struggle with sponsorship. I still struggle with having one. I still struggle with being one. I still struggle with having people in my life. I still struggle with being loved. I don't allow people to love me like they want to love me because I'm afraid that if they really got to know me, I, listen, I'm afraid that if my wife got to know me, really, really, really got to know me, what my thoughts were, what my feelings are, how I see things, that she wouldn't love me anymore. But I need to tell you something. I've been with my wife 26 years. We've been together since we're 15 years old. We just celebrated 18 years married. I've never been with another woman. She's never been with another man. But there's something, there's something on the inside of me that tells me if I let my guard down around her, that she's gonna go. I had a wonderful, wonderful time at dinner. I was, I didn't even wanna share after sitting at dinner and sharing with, with Rena and, and the people at the table because I was just talking about what's happened in my life. I want to talk about, listen, I want to just bring you back for a minute, and, and, and then I don't know where my time is at, but we, listen. At six months clean, I called my sponsor. I said, hey, listen, Dre, I don't really like her. He said, who? I said, my wife. He said, she probably don't like you either. I said, hey, listen, I think I want to leave. He said, I got an idea. I said, what's that? He said, how about if we do the fourth step before you leave? Why don't we identify the problem before you run away from what's the potential solution? So I hung up the phone, I got a resentment. I'm mad at him, because I thought he was gonna tell me it's okay, you should leave, you know, all of that. And what happened was, 
It was Christmas Eve, and I'm not trying to offend nobody. We exchanged our gifts on Christmas Eve. She handed me this little package, and when I opened this package, it was a, a little white thing with a plus and a minus sign, and the plus sign was blue. I thought, in my raging self-obsession, that she was giving me a remote control for my truck. <laughs> I went to the window, and I went, I said, what are you doing? I said, the truck's not starting. She said, it's not gonna start with that. I said, well, what is this? She said, and her eyes filled up, she said, we're pregnant. I wasn't real happy. You know, I was gonna get this fourth step done in the next 30 days and move out. I had a plan. So I called my sponsor, I said, hey, check this out, she's pregnant. He said, no, you guys are pregnant. No, 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 she's pregnant. He said, I want you to make a nine month commitment to her, Jimmy. And what happened in the nine months is she got bigger and bigger and bigger and more beautiful with each step up in bigness. From the little girl at 15 years old with big boobs that I fell in love with, because she had big boobs. My wife was this tall, I was this tall, I was eye level. I couldn't tell you, I couldn't tell you what her face looked like for about three years. I used to stand on my tippy toes to kiss her goodnight. I fell head over heels in love with her in the nine months she was pregnant. And I made a commitment for the rest of my life to God that I would never do anything to harm this woman. I made a commitment to God when my baby was born that I was gonna be the best father in the world. That I was gonna be hands down the best dad. That I wasn't gonna be the dad my dad was. That I wasn't gonna be a violent drunk. I wasn't gonna be a violent man. I wasn't gonna belittle my kids. I was gonna build my kids up. I was gonna lift my kids up. I was gonna get my kids a relationship with God. I was gonna introduce them to a God and allow them to choose whatever path they chose to go on. But that I wasn't gonna be like my father. And early in recovery when my daughter was around, early on I was incapable of doing that stuff because I hadn't done enough work on myself so I just came to meetings and I just hid but I want to tell you something man she's sitting over there she be, she's gonna be 14 years old in September and if she stood up right now and went like this with her hair you would be like oh my god Jimmy with boobs Jimmy with boobs. I always tell everybody I like girls with, with, with big butts, smile, and big boobs. So you know what God did? He gave me a little girl with a smile, big butt, and boobs. He said, you're committed to your wife, so I'll give you something that you can love unconditionally from the spirit and not the flesh. And that little girl just graduated from grammar school. She's going to high school next year. And she's not just going to any high school, she's going to a special high school. She's a dancer, she's been dancing since she's three years old. She's going to a special dance art high school, a dance arts high school that sends kids to schools like NYU. 
and the Rutgers Dance Academy, sends kids to Juilliard and places like that. And she got into that school, not because of anything I did, but more because of things that I didn't do. Because I didn't address the behavior. What I've started to do with my children is I'm starting to address their heart. It's not about addressing their right and wrong behavior. It's about addressing their heart. It's about asking them questions like, not why did you do that, but would that be pleasing to God? Not would that be pleasing to Jimmy, to Daddy? Would that be pleasing to God? The way you just spoke to your mother, would that please God? The way you just spoke to your sister, would that please God? Because what I need to do is I need to address her heart. Because if I can get her heart in a spot where she can love God and love others, then all the behaviors that the violent destructive power has will be rendered helpless. So I'm talking about, we were, Tarina and I were talking about breaking the chains, breaking the cycle. I'm not my father. I'm not my mother. I'm raising my kids with love, dignity, and respect. It was eight years ago and a week that I shared at Providence, Rhode Island's second convention. It was June 12th, 1999. My daughter was three days old. I left that convention on top of the world. I felt like no matter what happened to me, I would be all right. And because I felt that way, and because I made a commitment in my relationship with God, God said, oh, so you think that your good sharing behind is free from any kind of trauma. Oh, so you think that you're not gonna be tested so that uh, you can pass the test so that you can not just be a verbal, but a visual testimony to the power of God and not Narcotics Anonymous, because on July 3rd, they put her in the hospital with 106 fever. They put every tubes in every orifice of her body. She had an incurable, or so the doctor thought, incurable blood virus. She had a spinal tap at three weeks old. She was given last rites three times in the hospital. I did not use. I came to meetings and I cried. And I called my sponsor and I cried. And I came to meetings and I cried. And on June 9th, she turned eight years old. And my daughter, that's sunshine. That's sunshine. I, I sang sunshine to her in the hospital every day. I was working 14 hour days. And I would leave the, my job, and I would go home and shower, and I would go to the hospital, and I would stay up all night holding my wife's hand and singing to Haley, sunshine, my only sunshine, please don't take my sunshine away. And when the doctor said she's got no hope, I said you're not God. And what's happened, I'm gonna tell you about what's happened in the last couple years. For those who don't know, I've buried two sisters in here. I buried a 17-year-old sister who died in a car accident my mother was driving. 
I buried a 37-year-old sister who I helped get clean about five years ago. She got clean in Jersey City where we grew up. I got her to meetings. I got her a sponsor. I got her a network. People would take her to work. They would pick her up from work. They would help her get clean. They helped her get her act together. She moved to Arizona by my folks. She started running the game again. And on April 15th of 2005, right, her insides burst from overuse of narcotics. So I've buried two sisters. I have a brother that I helped eight months ago get into treatment. He was strung out. I sponsor a man in California. He knows a, he, he's got a sponsee that runs a tr treatment facility. They got my brother into the, into the treatment facility. He stayed clean for 90 days. He told them he knew what to do. He was going home. He went home, he stayed home for a couple months. He used. My mother makes comments to him like, why don't you go to meetings? Why don't you read the book? Why don't you work the steps? And my, and my brother says to her, cause I'm not Jimmy. He's sick, I'm not. And I just pray for him. I don't wanna bury another family member. I don't wanna have to bury another brother. And in the last two years, I've made a complete, full, and fledged commitment to my wife and my daughters. I don't share anymore. I don't go places. If I go three places a year, I go a lot. Some people say I'm being indignant and self-righteous. Some people say I'm being selfish. But let me tell you something. If I'm out here saving lives of other addicts and my kids die a lonely life, and my wife lives at home alone weekend after weekend after weekend, then what I'm doing here is useless. If I'm not home, where I, I made a commitment to my daughters two years ago that I would never miss another dance competition. I've missed one in the last two years. I had an opportunity to go Ocean City, Maryland and speak and do one of the main meetings with my old sponsor. He was doing Saturday night, I was doing Sunday morning and I sat my wife and my daughters down and I said, here's the opportunity I have. You know I wanna go, is it okay? And my oldest daughter said to me, is it for Dre? And I said, yeah, baby, it's for Dre. She says, then you can go. <laughs> My wife said, absolutely, babe. I know that you've always wanted to do that. Now I just have one more dream. I just want to share with my, with my current sponsor. Richie, I love you to death, man. I'm so grateful that, uh, that God saw fit to put you in right place at the right time to save an addict who was carrying a message but was dying on the inside. And you had enough love within you to love me right where I was, and I'm indebted to you forever. And our relationship, I hope, just gets better. I don't know if it can. I don't know if it can get any better than it is right now because I think it's at the best of all time. But I want it to get better. I want to grow spiritually. Listen, my life is not what it used to be. I don't do service work like I used to do. I don't make seven meetings a week. I make two to three meetings a week. I live my life by principle. I live my, by, my life by, by doing things that would please God and not would please man. I don't live my life so that you can be happy. I live my life so at the end of the day, my legacy will be a man of God who raised and treated his family with love, dignity, and respect. I went to an anniversary. I celebrated 15 years and a very good friend of mine's wife celebrated 11 years. And I want to tell you the power of Narcotics Anonymous. We go and I go to this anniversary. It's a Monday night and we walk in, right? And we sit down and this little young girl 
She looked like she was about 17 years old. She comes and she sits in the meeting and she sits right next to my Ashley. Cause Ashley went with me, she wanted to see Shelly celebrate. She sat next to Ashley and she says to Ashley, hi, how you doing? My name's Amy, I'm a newcomer I use and I'm just coming back. And Ashley looks over at her and Ashley says, oh, welcome. And she gave her a hug. She says, hey, listen, you need to get a sponsor and a best friend. My sponsor keeps next telling me, he thinks I don't see him with the phone. When, when, when Mike called me, and thank you, Mike, and Brendan, I didn't even know you were the programmer chair. I thought it was Mike and Sean. Sean was like, did you meet Brendan, the programmer chair? I'm like, the programmer chair for where? He's like, for the convention. I go, I thought Mike was the chair. He's like, no, I'm the vice chair. Brendan's the chair. Mike called, I'm like, whatever. <laughs> okay. Brendan, thank you. I want to thank you guys. Listen, I don't know if, if I did what you guys expected me to do. I don't know if I came and, and lived up, right? I don't know. I don't know if, if God did what he was supposed to do, but I know that I feel better. Listen, listen to me. Listen to me, we lost, we lost a soldier this week. We lost a soldier, we lost Ernie A this week, AKA Khalees. We need to be able to love the people around us because they may not be here tomorrow. Listen, newcomer, old timer, if nobody told you they love you today, you're hanging out with the wrong people. Every day I'm told that I'm loved by somebody, and it's not always by my wife and my daughters, but by somebody in my life I'm told I do not hang up my phone without saying I love you. You will not leave tonight without being told. If nobody told you they love you today, I love you. Thank you, Southeastern Mass, for honoring me. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 833-999-1877 to speak to a specialist. This show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com.